Father, Abba. And then we talked uh, three weeks about the attributes of the Holy Spirit. And then last week I talked about, was it last week? Yes, last week I talked about the attributes of King Jesus. And I talked about him being able to understand us and relate to us. And he knows what we're going through because the Bible says that he became like us. And I don't know about you, but that was a powerful word that really ministered to my own life. Um, so I preached myself happy um, last week. I hope that you left full of faith as well, and that I hope that it's helped you. This week, I want to continue uh, talking about Jesus. Um, I want to preach a message entitled, Jesus the Shepherd. And when I get back from vacation, uh, I'll preach this same thing. Before I get into this tonight, I just want to let everyone know um, that there is a sign-up sheet for cups outside in the foyer for the Salt Life cups. You can get the logo. You've seen them around. If you want one of those, we're going to be putting in an order. They're 20 bucks. Put your name, how many you want, and the color. Real simple. Just giving everyone, they've come to us and say, hey, how do we get one of these? And so we're giving you a chance to get one. Also, uh, the food pantry is needing some help on the third Saturday of this month. I believe it's the 18th, so it's not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday. Um, they're, it's from like 10 to 11. It's only about an hour. They, Judy and Kay, they got it down. They can run through about 100 people in about 40 minutes. And so um, if you want to help out, you don't have anything to do that, that day um, f for about an hour or, or so. Uh, they could use some help here at the church. I think that's December the 18th. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so I want to talk tonight about Jesus the shepherd. And how many of you know that J Jesus is a good shepherd? Amen. He is a good shepherd. Now, I've preached this. I've preached on Jesus the shepherd uh, probably three or four times in the last two and a half years. And every time I preach it, it's just a continuation of the last one. Because you preach something and then, you know, six months may go by and you think about that message and God just continues to just build on it and you just go back and preach it again. And so I'm like three or four times into this same concept, same topic. Um, before I get into it, I want to remind everyone that when we talk about the attributes of, of God, whether it's the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, that attributes are, are things that He is, not things that He has. It's not that He has mercy, it's that He is merciful. Everybody follow me right there. Um, last week, we, again, we talked about the Lord's ability to sympathize with us because He became like us. This week, uh, we'll talk about the shepherd. Now, the Bible describes the church in, in, in many different ways, but three main categories the Bible uses to describe the church. The first way the Bible describes the church is a family. It talks about the church being a family of God. Watch this, which is why relationships are important and it's not about rules and regulations. Help me right there. And if it, church is about a family and families are not really about a set of rules and regulations in a family, how many understand that relationship is the most important thing right there? Right, so knowing that, if you ever go to a church and there, there are more rules and regulations than there are relationships, then you've probably gotten off track. I'm not trying to be critical about any, any, any religion or any other church. Uh, the second way is that the Bible describes the church as a fellowship. 
a fellowship, a place where God brings people together and everybody has a part to play and everybody's part is equally important to the next person. That nobody is more elevated or more important than the next person. And in a place of fellowship, not only does everybody have a part to play, not only is every part important, but unity is more important than issues. Everybody's still with me. That's why the Bible tells us to strive to keep the unity in the spirit. <laughs> the third way the Bible describes the church is a flock. So you've got a family, a fellowship, and a flock. And tonight I want to talk about us being a flock. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 100 verse 3 says, We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Huh? So the Lord depicts us as sheep. This is one verse, but this is all through the Bible. But not only does the Lord depict the church as sheep, he depicts himself as the shepherd. Okay, John chapter 10. Let's get into some Bible. John chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 10. Mm, I love the word. Amen, I just eat the word. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life, that, it, that you may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, very clear. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. That's twice. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. Something to consider in these five verses is that Jesus contrasts himself with two different things. The thief and the wolf. Now, obviously, tonight we know that the wolf is Satan. How many can say amen to that? But notice what he's trying to do. Notice what the thief and the wolf is trying to do. First of all, he's trying to steal from you. And he does three different things to your life. Number one, he steals from you. He steals away material things. Help me right there, somebody. He comes in and he tries to steal financial things. Amen, somebody. I want you to hear me tonight, but he's also trying to steal your peace. Amen. He's trying to steal, watch this, your emotional energy. He's trying to take that from you. He's trying to steal time from you. Yeah, he's trying to steal opportunities from you. He's doing everything he can to keep you to uh, keep you from being unproductive in the kingdom of God and he's doing everything he can to keep you from enjoying the life that Jesus gave you. Jesus did not put you on earth just so that you could be a puppet on a string. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So can I just tell you that it's the will of God for you to enjoy the life that you have. He's trying to steal from you. You know, he's also trying to kill you. He's trying to kill you physically. Some of you may understand what I'm talking about right here. He's trying to, he's trying to kill you emotionally. 
So some of us in here tonight, he's trying to kill us mentally. Right? He's, so he's trying to steal. He's trying to kill. And then you say he's trying to destroy. And some people say that destroy and kill are the same thing. Well, no, they're not. Let, let me say it this way. Um, he's trying to steal from you. He's trying to, he's trying to kill you. And he's trying to destroy your witness. Hmm? He's trying to destroy the influence that you have so that what God done in you won't be a testimony for Him to do in somebody else. Because if He can ever destroy your witness, then what God did in you stops with you. He's trying to destroy your effectiveness. Now everybody knows that He can't really cross the bloodline and nobody can pluck you out of the hand of God, but He can keep you from doing it from someone else. Right, so the wolf and the thief, they do what? This is what they do. They steal, kill, and destroy. But not the shepherd. The shepherd does not do that. And Psalm 23 is probably the best description of what a shepherd does. And if you, I want to turn there. If you have not ever memorized or committed scripture to memory... I would encourage you to do that and start with Psalm 23. It's only six verses, and it's real easy. Uh, if you go to enough, it's real easy. Psalm 23. Let's just read them real quick. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I'm going to preach the first three verses tonight, by the way. And when I get back, I'll preach four, five, and six. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now remember in John chapter 10, Jesus himself says that I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Therefore, Psalm 23 is talking about Jesus. Hmm? Talking about Jesus. And I want to go through these verses tonight and just give you a few things that the shepherd does. And I, I've got several things here that I'm going to pull from uh, Psalm 23. I'm only going to give you one point tonight. And somebody said, oh, I can't believe he did it. However, that one point has three subpoints. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm only giving you one tonight. <laughs> Number one, here's what I want to focus on tonight. The shepherd provides. And just in a time of Christmas and a time of, uh, of a holiday where we come in, I just want to remind us before I go on vacation that the shepherd that we serve, he provides everything that we have. And everything that we need comes from God. This is probably also the area that we get attacked at the most. It's provision. Verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The word want there means lack. I, I could say it like this and still be completely accurate. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. 
I shall not lack. Isn't it funny that a lot of times we believe that the Lord is our provider and we don't really have a problem saying that and admitting that and really coming in here and praising Him when everything that we need has been provided for? It's real easy, right, for us to do that. But it's funny to sit back and watch that when the economy falls or something unexpected comes in the mailbox and it hits you kind of sideways. It's funny to watch believers and how fear automatically begins to mount in their life. As long as everything is hunky-dory and as long as everything is paid for and as long as 2 plus 2 equals 4 and as long as things are working out, we don't have a problem coming in here talking about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. But let a bad thing happen to your life and you find out real quick who's really believing that or not. Why? Because we will have fear. If we don't truly believe that God is our provider. Now I said that not trying to be critical, but trying to give us an analysis of where we're at. You do your own intake and inventory of your own life because circumstances and going through the fire a lot of times has a way of revealing where we're at, what needs to be worked on, and what needs to be adjusted. Because when the gold is put into the fire, it's turned up and it's melted into a liquid and everything that's impure in the gold rises to the surface and the goldsmith takes his ladle and rakes it back so that what comes out of the fire is pure gold. Why is the fire important? Why is the hard times in my life important? Because it reveals the things in my life that need to be adjusted. And had I not never been through what I've been through, I never would have had the ability to make the adjustment in my life to come out pure and to come out looking more like God. I wish I had some help on a Wednesday night. Here's why we struggle with that. Because the good shepherd doesn't always provide the sheep what they want. But he always provides the sheep what they need. <laughs> Let me say it another way. The good shepherd does not always lead the sheep where they want to go. But he always leads the sheep where they need to go. Jesus, if you think about it, when he showed up on the scene, he did not provide the Jews what they wanted. He provided them what they needed. They, they were looking for some political leader to come in and change their entire nation. A political status, but they didn't need a political leader. They needed a savior. So he gave them what they needed because that's what they needed. But watch this. They missed his provision because they were focused on what they wanted. They did not get what they truly needed because they were so focused on what they wanted. They missed the very provisional hand of God. So is it possible tonight that we are the same way? Do we at times miss the provision of God in, my, in our life? Because we're so focused on what we want. We, we, we've got it figured out. This is exactly what we want. Instead of saying, God, I just want what you want. I, it doesn't matter what I want. I just want what you think I need. Sometimes I think that we miss what God wants to do. The shepherd always provides. Let me give you three ways that he provides. Number one is contentment. Hmm. Okay, contentment. 
Let me show it to you. Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. Green pastures and still waters refer to peace and contentment. I know that we oftentimes struggle with contentment and peace in our life, but can I just tell you tonight that the earmark of every believer is peace and contentment? Hmm? Do you realize, maybe you've never thought about this, but do you realize that this is why you come to church? You, you come... And you sit at beside the still waters of worship and you eat from the green pastures of the Word. Hmm? Do, do, do you know why people leave church? Because the only time they drink from the still water and eat from the green pastures is one day a week. One day a week. And I just want to take a minute to... Put in a plug for my heavenly father and tell you that God's not interested in having a weekend affair with nobody. Hello? Right? We don't come in on Sunday morning and, and, and hope for a big crowd. Maybe we'll get some people to show up on Wednesday night and, and, and love on God while we're here. But you know what? For the rest of the week, we just kind of feel as if we're exempt from having that kind of an intimacy moment with God. And we sit around Monday through Saturday, and most of the time we blow kisses to God from a distance. And we come in on Sunday, and we just think like nothing happened. I've been talking to you all week, God. Here I am. Hmm? I just want to put the plug in and say that God doesn't just provide the still waters and the green pastures on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. God provides still waters and green pastures every day of the week. Every day you wake up, you can drink from the still waters because he's a good shepherd. Every day of the week, he has green pastures for you as a sheep of his flock to feed off of, to be nourished by. My Lord, we come in here weak and anemic because we hadn't read and talked to him all week long. And we have to lay it down on the operating table because all the junk you've allowed in. Why don't you start talking to him Monday? Why don't you start walking with him on Tuesday? Why why don't you let him in on Wednesday, my Lord, and drink from his provision? Somebody better say amen. I feel better. Hey, be honest. It's the only way for you to be successful in your Christian life. The only way. I got a lot more to say, but I'll just move on because this next one's going to change your life. You think I'm playing? Watch this. Y'all ready for this? Here it comes. It's the boom. I'm not even kidding. He provides restoration. Number three. He restores my soul. Yep. He restores my soul. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but the reason that, Kathy, the reason that a lot of people can't get free from their addiction is because they don't understand that their soul needs to be restored 
Almost always. Almost always. Let me show it to you. It's just going to hit your heart. When people say, the, the list is endless, I've been crushed because my wife walked out on me. I've been crushed because I had a child turn away from God. What, what they're actually saying is that their soul has been crushed. We, we know it's not physically because nothing, you're not flat like a pancake. Okay? You're talking about your soul has been vexed. It's been crushed. My soul has been crushed. Watch. My mind, my will, and my emotions have been crushed. Isn't it funny how when you go through something that's tragic, your mind begins to be flooded with thoughts? Hmm? You ever went through a tragedy? You ever had to go through something that just really broke your heart? Watch this. You ever made a mistake that broke your heart? You ever been crushed by your own decision? You ever been crushed because of life happens? So thoughts, I mean, they're running 90 miles an hour. Hmm? What, what about this? Your emotions are a roller coaster. And nobody's super spiritual. When you go through a trage- tragedy, it's hard to get your emotions under control. You, you could be doing fine and all of a sudden hear something or out of nowhere, boom, and just start crying. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about tonight. Hmm? You start dealing with things like anxiety. You start worrying about things. Fear begins to set in. Depression begins to become a battle. Weary. All of these kinds of things. And so not only does your, your mind get flooded with thoughts, your emotions are out of control, and it affects your ability, your willpower, to make the right decision. Hmm? You ever been there before? I, I'm telling you, I'm not preaching it just because it's in the Bible. It is. I read it to you, but I'm preaching this tonight because I've been there myself. I know what it's like to make a mistake and feel crushed. I know what it's like to be in ministry and make a mistake and have to sit down for two years and go through a restoration process. Why? It's not that God didn't forgive me immediately. It's that I was crushed and I needed to be healed. My mind needed to be restored. My emotions needed to be under control so that I can make the right decisions in my life. Restoration in our souls is not just something that we need when we make a mistake. But we also need restoration in our souls when something tragic happens in our life. The problem is many times we don't leave room in our life for restoration. We don't have a problem leaving room for forgiveness, but many times we, don't have a, we have a problem with, you know, there's not enough room for restoration. We just kind of blow right through our situations, never finding the restoration to our souls that really what we need to be able to heal us, right? So watch this. Here's what happens. We never really get healed from the mistake. We never get really healed from the tragedy because we never really get restored in the first place. So what it is, it's, it's, un, it's an unhealed area of my life that never gets healed, so it's an open wound. 
So now the next time I'm just bebopping along and I've learned how to mask that thing to get me through, I've learned how to manage my life with dealing with it. Right? It's there and I'm going, to, I'm going to adjust my life with an open wound. And so now the way you see me is the way that I live with an open wound in my life. And so now I'm bebopping along and boom, another tragedy hits. Or boom, another mistake hits. And what does it do? It sits right on top of the other one that's unhealed. And before you know it, you're several years down the road and you really don't know how you got to where you're at. And you really don't know how you become such an angry person. And you really don't know why you've become the way that you are and you're isolated and you're, you're, you're bitter and you're frustrated all the time. You're not as friendly as you used to be and all these other things and you're bound up more than you used to be. All because we didn't allow the Lord and the Good Shepherd to restore your mind, your will, and emotions. You know why I think sometimes we don't allow that to happen? Because we're prideful. And I, I've been a drug addict since I was about 13. I smoked my first, uh, we called it reefer. It was on a Dr. Pepper can. Yeah, I don't know nothing about that. And I, was, I went through high school doing drugs, partying, that whole thing. And then when I got out of high school, I started shooting the needle. And I shot the needle until I was about 25. I know what it's like to think you got it under control. Quit anytime you want. Hmm? Anybody ever been there before? Like, not under, we think that we can just stop any time that we want, not understanding we don't have it under control. It has us under control. But I know what it's like, that mentality, not of the Spirit. I'm just, I'm just using it as an analogy because the mentality is the same. It's the mentality of the flesh. I got this. And when I bounce back from a mistake and I bounce back from a tragedy and I just keep going and, and God forgive me for what I've done and I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to take no time to let the presence of God to come in and heal my soul. I'm just going to keep on going. But, but, but could it be sometimes that the things that we struggle with in life that we blame on the devil could be from our own inability to be restored in our mind? To bring some clarity back to our thinking, allowing our thoughts to get back in alignment with God, allowing our emotions to calm down and to just quit being all over the place. Could it be sometimes that we don't allow restoration to happen in our life? The word restoration, watch this, it means if you peel back the word restoration all the way to its root, it means to return back to the point of departure. To return back to the point of departure. Which means if you're going along in life just fine and something devastating happens and the enemy tries to derail you from that path, that's, that's, that's where you've at. You've, you've had a tragedy and you've, you've turned away through a mistake or maybe through your own way and you're just kind of being derailed by the enemy. But restoration is when the Lord takes you from where you're at and takes you right back to the place that you need to be. Gets you off the path that you're on and puts you back to the path that you really need to be. And I'm not talking about in life. I'm not talking about from one house to the next. I'm talking about taking your mind that's been stretched over in left field. And God says it's not intended to work around in left field. Let me bring it back to home plate. And that's called restoration of my mind. It's when the Lord, the good shepherd, shows up and takes my emotions that have been running wild. And he takes them and says, let me restore 
store your emotional energy and get it out of left field because that's a dangerous place for your emotions and your mind to be. So he brings some restoration back and puts you back on the path that you need to be. Which is my second point. God is the only one that can restore you. And I'm all for mentors, and I'm all for sponsors, and I'm all for people trying to help, and I'm all for pastors, obviously, being able to help leaders, being able to help someone that's been along that road, being able to reach back and help somebody. I'm all for that because God can use that. There's power in a testimony, but at the end of the day, I don't care how many principles you apply. If you don't have the help of God, you'll never be restored. I know I'm going to get some pushback. I hope it's not from my recovery leader. But I have an issue. Y'all better, let me just keep on going. I love you, Sister Kathy. I'm not. I'm all four steps. Get it? Can't. We, we do step studies. Do you not? I'm all four step studies. <clears throat> There's a balance there. Let me tell you why. Because the thing that I take issue with, and I want you to hear this from me, the thing that I, the thing that I take issue with is people that just yell out and scream that Jesus is the only step you need. There's not 12 steps. There's one step. <clears throat> Mm-mm. Not at all. J- Let me say it this way. Jesus is the first step. But I, I'm going to tell you, I feel frustrated right now. <laughs> Even talk, I get frustrated with people who preach that and they have their people come pray at an altar and say, you did it. That's the only step you need. I'll see you later. And they fall right back to where they was. You know why? Because they didn't go through a step study. Now that Jesus is in your life, you're on your way. That's the first step. But what you got to understand is somebody's got to be there to walk with you through life. And your next step after the first step needs to be teaching on accountability. Then you need to talk about finances because you've lost your way when you was 12 and you don't know what you're doing. And then you need to talk about this. And there's all and then you need to have a mentor. I'm all for that. you got to have people in your life. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. You don't have to stand up and confess to everybody, but everybody needs somebody. Come on, help me right there. So I believe in all of that. It's important. You've got to have steps in your life. You, that, why? Because it's a process that people have to work through. And shall I say, Jesus is the first step, and Jesus is also the central theme of every step. Because while there are steps, and this is the other end of it, while there are steps, you still have to have Jesus to have accountability. You still got to have Jesus to help you through all these other things. Everybody know what I'm talking about right there? Confession is one of them. You've got to be able to make amends, and there's all kinds of things that you go through in life. And let me just, here's what I like to use better than steps. It's called a journey. That's what it is. It makes up your life. Because when your life is over, they're not going to say, look at chapter 2, it's a step. They're going to say, look at chapter 2. This is part of his journey. Did I communicate that well enough? You got to have Jesus. You can't do any of that without him. That's your first step. You got to have Jesus in your life. But you can't tell people to come pray at an altar and then not be willing to walk through the rest of their process with them. Amen. 
Restore my soul. Restore my soul. Here's the third thing, and I'll be done. Guidance. It's the second part of verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me. I'm thankful that you don't lead me. I'm thankful that our governor doesn't lead me. I'm thankful that the Lord is my leader. I heard a story one time, a true story um, in a seminary that I was listening to, and there was actually a real shepherd in there. And he was telling the story of... um, he was telling a story how he went out with thousands, thousands of his flock, some real sheep, and he was just walking, and he finally walked far enough, and he got to a place where there was 11 other shepherds. And all, all 12 of the shepherds were standing there, and they had brought all their sheep, and it was just a mixture. They kind of mingled together, and there was about 20,000 sheep out in, the, out in this huge field. It was so many of them. And the shepherds just kind of laid there and hung out all day long. They talked, they, they shared jokes, and they just kind of hung out and had a good time. And finally, toward the end of the day, one of the shepherds got ready to leave, and he yelled out, Hoo! and just turned around and started walking. And every sheep that belonged to him followed the shepherd out. And every shepherd did that one by one until the last one left, and then they were all gone. And one of the seminary students said, do you ever lose one? <laughs> do you ever get them mixed up? Does, when, you, when you yell out, does, does a sheep that belongs to someone else's flock ever get into yours and y'all get it mixed up? And ever? He said, no, not, not, never. It never happens. Because the sheep, here's what he said, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. <laughs> here's something else that he said that I, that I really like. Sheep won't follow sheep. Sheep only follow shepherds. So that why, that's why you can have two shepherds right here and a mixture of flock. And when you've got two different sheep right there and one shepherd leaves, both of them won't leave with the shepherd just because one left. Yeah. The one that belongs to that shepherd will leave and the other one just keeps sitting right there eating until his shepherd leaves. Yeah. Right? They only move at the sound of the shepherd's voice. They only move when the shepherd says to move. I'm going to just do a little plug before I close. Let me tell you what makes a good leader, a good follower. Let me be very practical. Let me tell you what makes a good plumber. It's a good apprentice. It's someone that knows how to follow. What makes a good leader is a good follower. If you can follow the shepherd, then you can lead. But if you ever stop following the shepherd, then you're not fit to be a leader. If you ever start trying to lead people in your agenda or the things that you want and you stop listening to the voice of the shepherd and you're leading them to your kingdom, you're not qualified to be a leader. Why? Because good leaders know how to follow the good shepherd. And he may not be or they may not be good in any other area, but if you find somebody that follows the voice of God and knows how to follow the leader, the real leader, then get behind that person, grab a hold of their shirt tail, and go where they go. Because they're going where God's going. Good follower. Guidance. God's 
sheep know his voice, and a voice of a stranger they will not follow. So what am I saying tonight? I'm saying that God knows how to provide for your life. I'm saying that God knows how to provide for your peace. And if you don't have peace in your life right now, then reestablish peace. I just preached this Sunday morning. Reestablish the peace of God in your life. Okay? You don't have to go buy things. Things don't make peace. Materialistic don't, things don't make peace. More money don't make peace. More friends don't make peace. Everything working out is not what, you know, some people, they try to just, they try to go out and mend everything. I know they're mad and they're mad and they're just like, they just don't have peace when everybody's mad. Listen, the, the Lord is the only one that provides peace in your life. Peace. Establish peace and let God allow you to be content with where you're at. He provides that. He's the good shepherd. Amen? He provides restoration to your soul. I'm going to tell you this, that we talk about recovery as a group and a, as a ministry, but the reality is everybody in this house right now needs to be recovered. We, we all are going through a process. And I went to Teen Challenge, Kathy, and they said, you brainwash them people over there. Well, absolutely, they do. It's a place where your brain gets washed because it needs to be washed. It needs to be cleaned up. And you know, if you're anything like me, we allow so much of the world in every day, I need to go take a bath every night. Not, not just once a week. But Lee, I've got to have my mind washed. How do I do that? By the intake of Scripture. By, by listening to the voice of God. By allowing His presence to bring my emotions under control. Allowing my thoughts to bring clarity to my mind. Bringing every thought subjective to Him. If it's not from God, then I'm going to subject it to His will. And then let Him guide me. I don't want to talk about the will of God. I'm, I'm closing. But there's two different, I call them two different wills. There's a general will and a specific will. The general will of God is outlined in the Word of God. Amen? And it's the same for everybody. It's the same for everybody. It can be found in the Bible. The specific will can be found in the bedchamber. Okay, that's why, that's why, Lynn, I use seed in farming and not sperma because they can't handle it. But really, the secret place is a bedchamber. That's the word. It's called a bedchamber. And when it talks about the seed of God, it's talking about the sperm of God. So he puts his seed in your life and reproduces himself inside of you. That's a good study. You'll find out if you'll go look it up that I'm telling you the truth. But when it says in Matthew chapter 6 to go to the secret place, the word secret place is called the bedchamber. Why? Because God, here's what it all boils down to. God wants to have intimacy with you. And I know this is getting kind of hairy, but there's no kids in here. We're all grown-ups. There's a reason why human beings were made to have intimacy face-to-face. -face. No other creation was made like that. Because it's a reflection of our relationship with God. And if you don't have face-to-face -face encounters with God, then you're struggling spiritually. Peace, restoration, and guidance. Amen. Man, that's so good. That's so good. I'm telling you, y'all can stand with me tonight. That's probably the best message I've ever preached in my life.